Life is crazy enough. Life is crazy enough without December. But then it hits me like a natural disaster. Like a storm that blows through my life once a year. The Christmas season. And I'm supposed to take my already too busy life. Add another layer to that busyness and be... Filled with joy? With joy? Now, I can see being filled with stress. That makes sense. Extended family that drives me crazy. Buying presents for everyone. While I watch my credit card balance reach new heights. Filled with anxiety and worry. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. But you want me to be filled with joy? Seriously? It's a good question, isn't it? How can I experience joy this Christmas? This week I was doing some research for today's message and I decided to Google the term holiday blues and I got almost a million hits. This is what one website said about holiday blues. Holiday blues can affect both men and women, young and old. Factors contributing to holiday blues include increased stress and fatigue, unrealistic expectations, too much commercialization, and the inability to be with one's family. The increased demands of shopping parties, family reunions, and house guests may also contribute to tension and sadness during the holidays. Common stress reactions during the holidays include headaches, excessive drinking, overeating or not eating enough, and difficulty sleeping. Maybe this morning you're experiencing some of these symptoms of the holiday blues, or you know somebody who is, and if that's the case, I'm glad you're here, because today we're going to look at joy. Recent survey asked people if they were looking forward to Christmas, and while the majority said yes, far too many said no. When asked why, they gave answers like these. Christmas is a time of giving, but we can't afford to give. Christmas is a time to be with your family, but there's anger and hostility and, and serious problems in our family. Christmas is supposed to be a time when you feel joyful, but in my life, there is no joy. Christmas is a story about joy. We began our service this morning by looking at this message the angel brings to the terrified shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good no news of great what? Great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now this may sound a little strange, but I'm convinced that God wants us to take joy seriously. Look at this Bible verse. In fact, can we read this together? Are you ready? Let's read it together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, do you think that this is a suggestion or a command? It's actually a command. And here's what I want you to realize. If God's going to command us to do something, then he is willing and able to give us the desire and the ability to obey that command. C.S. Lewis was an amazingly popular writer, and I believe that one of the reasons for his broad appeal is that he was able to take complicated concepts and explain them in, in fairly simple ways. One of the topics he wrote about extensively was joy. And in his book, Surprised by Joy, he describes his intense journey to find joy. Over many years of trial and error, C.S. Lewis discovered that this joy that he so desperately wanted was, was more than a feeling that would come and go depending on circumstances. This joy was a, a deep sense of contentment and peace that transcended circumstances. And in an attempt to find joy, 
He plunged himself into all kinds of pleasures and pursuits, but nothing could satisfy his desire for joy. And eventually, this thought occurred to him. What if the reason that nothing in this world could satisfy his desire for joy was because the object of his desire was outside this world? And here's how he reasoned. First of all, every desire we experience has a corresponding real object that can satisfy that desire. For example, the desire we call hunger is satisfied by what? By food. The desire we call thirst is satisfied by what? Yes, something to drink. The desire that we have for friendship is satisfied by what? A friend. It makes perfect sense. It's logical. Every desire that we experience has a corresponding real object that can satisfy that desire. Now, when it comes to joy, we experience a desire which nothing in this world can completely satisfy. And isn't this a common experience? I mean, joy is so incredibly elusive. Therefore, C.S. Lewis concluded there must be a real object, someone or something, that transcends this world who can satisfy this desire for joy. And by personal experience, C.S. Lewis discovered that that someone is Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. What's the most joyful place in the universe? What do you think? Heaven. Most joyful place in the universe. Who is the most joyful being in the universe? God. So imagine what happens on Christmas. Jesus, who is God, the most joyful being in the universe, comes from the most joyful place in the universe to bring us, yeah, joy. It is a supernatural gift of God brought to earth by Jesus Christ. And it's really amazing when you think about it. The life of Jesus is bookended by joy. The angel announces great joy on the night that Jesus is born. And when Jesus calls his disciples together right before he goes to the cross, do you know what he talks to them about? Joy. Now, I know what the Bible says about Jesus. This is actually from the Old Testament, that he is a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. Jesus knows better than anybody else how hard life can be. But what we need to realize is this. God's grief, the grief of Jesus, is a temporary response to a fallen, broken world. Because in this fallen, broken world is another being who wants you to be miserable. In fact, he wants to steal all the joy that you have. If you were here last week, you may remember how I described this grand story that God is writing and how your life will never make sense until you understand how your life fits into the grand story. And we talked about the different acts as if it were a play. And act one could be titled Peace in Heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit live in perfect relational harmony. There is peace and there is joy in heaven. And then God creates angels. And one of those angels, named Satan, rebels against God. And now the peace and the joy of heaven is shattered by Satan's conspiracy. The author Francis de Salas describes Satan and his hatred of God's joy when he writes this, Satan is pleased with sadness and melancholy because he himself is sad and melancholy and will be so for all eternity. Therefore, he desires that everyone should be like himself. You know the saying, misery loves what? Company. And the reality is the evil one has a lot of company because so often people go through life and they just don't experience much joy. And listen, today, if you're feeling joy impaired, I want to encourage you with, with this thought. God doesn't want you to go through your life feeling miserable. God wants you to not only experience joy, 
God wants you to be filled with joy. And the logical question is, okay, I get that, but how is that even possible? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, one of the most important keys to experiencing joy is choosing what you focus on. So often joy is a matter of perspective, and so today I want to point out three things we can choose to focus on that can enable us to experience joy. And here's the first, focus on Jesus and what he has done and is doing for you. Focus on Jesus and what he has done and is doing for you. Look at this verse from Hebrews. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on our problems. What does it say? Keeping our eyes where? Yeah, on Jesus. Now think about this. If I were to ask you to describe the most joyful moments of your life, what would they involve? I think all of us would say, well, the most joyful moments of my life would involve being with people that I love and people who love me. Now here's a picture of some people that God has put in my life. That's the Hodges clan. This is at our son John's wedding when he married um, Sarah. They're in the middle of the picture there. Now, how many of you have ever experienced joy at a wedding? Hopefully at your own you did, right? Okay, you should raise your hand if you're married. That'd be a good, good thing to do this morning. Um, how many of you have ever danced for joy at a wedding? Okay, I've seen some of you dance for joy, so I know you can do it. Isn't, isn't that amazing? I mean, I, I just think about this, this joy that we experience, and, and I've been to weddings where I just didn't want to go home because it was just a joyful celebration. And do you know what's really amazing? God's word says that there's a day coming, there's an event coming called the marriage feast of the Lamb, a wedding that takes place in heaven where the joy never ends. And that is the joy that God wants us to experience today. And you know, that's how joy works, isn't it? A close connection with somebody that you love and somebody who loves you. And look at this verse. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. My wife, Chris, made some really good cookies. She likes to bake during the holidays. And she made these um, oatmeal raisin cookies, and she left them on the counter. And she got up the other morning, and they were all gone. And uh, I had to tell her, hey, I was really hungry, and I you know, just kind of ate most of them for breakfast. But here's the thing. I could tell you that Chris bakes the best oatmeal raisin cookies. But for you to know that, what do you have to do? Yeah, you have to bite one. You have to taste it and see how good it is. And church, I can stand up here and tell you, God is really good. If you have a close connection with God, you'll experience joy, but that will never happen until you do what? Yeah, taste and see that the Lord is God. Good, you've got to experience that for yourself. And that, that is why I just... I love the story of Christmas. I love the story of the, the shepherds and the angels and the wise men because this is a story of joy. A joy that comes from a close connection with God. And here's the reality. We come into this world disconnected from God. And that really is the bad news, that our heart pulls us away from God and his purpose and plan. And the Bible calls this sin. And our sin separates us from a God who is holy and just and has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And we know the Bible makes it clear that just punishment is to die and to remain separated from God forever. That's some really bad news. But against this dark, 
bad news comes the light of God's glory and the light of God's grace. The good news that you are loved more than you can imagine. And this God who loves you sends his son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, into this world, and Jesus becomes one of us. And he does what we could never do. He lives a perfect life, and then he allows himself, because of his love, to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. Remember the announcement that is one of great joy? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A savior, and that's what is happening as Jesus dies on a cross. He is saving us from our sins because this is what happens. God is willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God that we deserved is poured out on Christ and he dies and God raises him from the dead. And Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. I'll give you a completely new life. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've made that decision to trust him, if you said, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner, I believe you died and rose from the dead, and I'm going to follow you the best I can. If you're a Christian, I want you to think about this. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove to God. You can't earn God's favor. You can't earn God's acceptance. You can't earn God's love. He's given it to you because of your faith in Christ. And think about this, because of what Jesus did at the cross, because he's paid for your sins, you have nothing to hide. God knows everything about you. And because you are eternally loved, because God said, I will never leave you or forsake you, you have nothing to fear. Now, Christian, you think about this. You have nothing to prove, you have nothing to hide, and you have nothing to fear. Do you think that should make you joyful? Absolutely. And here's where the distinction between joy and happiness really comes into play. The word happiness comes from happenstance. And it's the idea that I can be happy if I have the right set of circumstances. And isn't that true? So often, you know, if the day is going well, we're happy. What happens if it doesn't go the way you wanted it to go? We're often unhappy and even miserable. But joy, on the other hand, is rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember the verse that we looked at and we said it was a command? Rejoice in the... Lord. Rejoice in the Lord when? Yeah, always. Regardless of what's taking place. And remember this, when Jesus goes back home to heaven, he sends his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live in us so that we can experience what? Joy. And this is what it says in the book of Galatians, but the fruit of the spirit, what's produced in someone's life when they're closely connected to Jesus is love and joy and peace. Listen, real joy, the joy that God gives, does not depend on whether you got the job, whether your kids graduated from college. It's completely unrelated to if you're rich or poor or short or tall. It, it's not connected to your checkbook or your date book or your diet or whether you got what you wanted for Christmas or whether you got to see the new Star Wars movie. This joy that God gives transcends circumstances. And I will tell you that some of the most joyful people I've ever known in my life have had the most difficult problems you can imagine. And conversely, I've known people that were, well, I just call them joy impaired. And by comparison, their life was relatively easy. God wants us to experience joy regardless of our circumstances, but that requires a decision on our part. Look at this next verse in the book of James. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, Let it be an opportunity for complaining. It's what we often do, right? Something goes wrong, we complain. But God says, no, I want you to 
Let it be an opportunity for joy. Now, what group of, of people in the Bible were notorious for complaining? Yes, the Israelites. They were world-class complainers. And, and many of you know the story. You know, God sets them free from slavery in Egypt. He, he leads them through the desert, through the promised land, but there is like no joy in the journey. Now, before we're too hard on the Israelites, we need to look at how complaining can be a problem for people today. Not, not me and you, of course, just, you know, people we know. Um, people who compare their lives with others and go, poor me, my life is so hard. Now, one time... I introduced you to an exercise. It's really a, a joy-building exercise, and it's also intended to curb complaining, and some of you know it, because we've gone over this before, but I thought, especially now with this message, it would be good to review it. And it has to do with, um, with four words. And here's the first letter of each word, I-C-B-W. How many of you know what that stands for? Can you say it? It could be worse. Could be worse. And this is kind of a mental exercise um, when you feel like you're going to complain about something, you can just do a mental timeout and say to yourself, it could be worse. Now, let me give you an example of how this could work. Let's say that you wake up on Monday morning, and you're getting ready to go to work, and you start to think to yourself, man, I hate this job. I hate my stinking boss. And you're starting to complain to yourself, and you go, whoa, whoa, timeout. And you say, could be worse. I could have no job to go to, right? Or how about this? You... Um, you go out to the parking lot after the service today and you're ready to get into your car. And you look at the car next to your car and you think, man, I wish I had that ride. I really like that car. And you start to complain to yourself that your car is not as nice as the car next to yours. And then you just have a mental timeout and you say to yourself, could be worse, I could have no car. Or, let's say that you're married and <laughs> tomorrow morning you wake up and you roll over and look at your spouse. And you say to yourself, don't, don't say that. Instead, what you should say is, honey, I am so thankful for you, and I'm glad you can't read my mind. Now, you get, you get the point. You get the point, right? Complaining is a joy buster, and being thankful is a joy builder. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this one time. He said if the stars only came out once a year, we would stay up all night to look at them. God sometimes needs to lift our heads so that we're reminded of how much we have to be thankful for. Look at this verse. This is from Psalm 126. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. I want you to look at another verse. This is from the Christmas story. It's Mary's response when she finds out that she's going to be the mother of Messiah. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for the mighty one has done great things for me. I was thinking about this verse during the week and a thought occurred to me that I wanted to share with you this morning. So listen carefully. Do you know what can destroy your joy? It's when you focus on what God has not done for you. One of the greatest sources of unhappiness and dis discouragement in our lives is unmet expectations. And maybe this morning you've got some unmet expectations when it comes to your marriage. Maybe you've got some unmet expectations when it comes to your kids or your family. Maybe you thought by this point in your life you'd be further along 
you'd have a better career, a bigger house, more money. Maybe your life in general is not turning out the way you expected. Well, in the Christmas story, Mary's life is not turning out the way that she expected, but she accepts the message of the angel and she embraces what God is doing in her life and through her life. And because of that, what does she experience? Joy. And that can be true for us because God is sovereign. And when our life is hard, when our life is not working out the way we expected, God wants us to trust him to accomplish his purpose. And as we do, it's possible to experience joy. Now let me give you another important way to become a more joyful person. This is the second thing on your outline. Focus on others and what you can do for them. Focus on others and what you can do for them. Carl Menninger, a famous psychiatrist, once gave a lecture and he was answering questions after the lecture and somebody asked, what would you advise a person to do if that person felt a nervous breakdown coming on? Now, because he was a psychiatrist, people expected that he would say, well, you need to you know, make an appointment and go see your doctor, your psychiatrist. But here's what he said. Lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need, and to do something to help them. It's good advice. Because joy comes from focusing not just on our needs, but the needs of other people and learning how to give to them, how to meet their needs. Look at this verse. Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, one thing that really wrecks our joy is conflict with other people. And this sometimes happens, especially around the Christmas season. Sometimes there's conflict in families. Now, let me ask you this. And you can raise your hand when I ask this. How many of you have ever caused conflict in a relationship because you were being selfish? Now, I'm really concerned about the people without their hands in the air. So let me ask it this way. How many of you have ever experienced conflict in a relationship because the other person was being selfish? Well, every hand would go up, right? I mean, we've all been there. And that's why the Bible says, listen, listen, you need to focus on the needs of others, not just on yourself, because we are inherently self-centered. But there's a flip side to this, a very important flip side. There are times where we give and give and give to another person. We, we really care about them and we want to meet their needs, but despite all that we do, things don't get better. They get worse. And we get we get worn out emotionally and we're trying to just get through the day, much less experience joy. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're going through it right now or know somebody who is. Some of you may be listening to this message and thinking, my life is not only joyless, my life's hopeless. And if that's where you are this morning, I want you to look at this next statement on your outline about how joy is possible. Focus on tomorrow, not just today. Focus on tomorrow, not just today. How many of you have ever heard this phrase? It is what it is. Ever hear that? How many of you have ever said that? It is what it is. I think it's important when life is hard and painful and discouraging not to deny that life is that way because we all know it's true. We live in a broken, fallen world. Week before last, my daughter Elizabeth called 
and said that her mother-in-law, Nancy, had died. Uh, Nancy was diagnosed two weeks earlier with pancreatic cancer. I was talking to my, my daughter, and um, she has a five-year-old son, Anthony, and she was saying, Dad, it's just so hard to, to explain this to Anthony. It's just so hard at the holidays, and um, me and Matt, that's her husband, we're really struggling with this. And I said, honey, I know this is really hard, and this is really sad, and this is really tragic. And I hung up the phone, and I said, you know, it is what it is. But every time, every time I, I see the pain in this world and the heartache in this world, I quickly remind myself, but it is not what it shall be. And I know my daughter's mother-in-law, her name's Nancy, and she's married to Al, and they're both believers. And I know for Nancy today, it's a whole new reality. And I know this, that the Christmas story reminds us that Jesus is born, but he's coming back. You know that, right? He's coming back, and this time he's not going to be a baby in Bethlehem. This time he's coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And God says, a day is coming when he will dwell with his people. And God says, I promise, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And there will no longer be any death or crying or mourning or pain. And man, do I look forward to that day. But that's not today. And yet we can live with this perspective. And if you want to call it something, you could call it this realistic optimism. See, a realistic person says, hey, it is what it is, right? But an optimistic person says, but it is not what it shall someday be. And the writers of the New Testament, when they talk about joy, that's their perspective. They're not saying, you know, you need to have the, the power of positive thinking. No, they're saying you need the to have the power of truthful thinking because they see every event in their lives through this lens of the ultimate return and victory of Jesus Christ. And who taught them to do that? Jesus himself. This is a fascinating verse. This is from Hebrews chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's where we started. If you want to be a more joyful person, where do you focus your attention? On Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And notice this phrase, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus is dying on a cross. He's suffering incredible agony and anguish, and it says that the way he got through that pain was because of the joy set before him, the joy that he was focused on. And I've got to believe that as Jesus is dying on the cross, he's thinking about what his death will accomplish. I believe that he's thinking about us. And the fact that he's going to redeem us, that he's going to give us a new life, and that because of his sacrifice, we're not going to have anything to prove and nothing to hide and nothing to fear, and that gives him what? Joy. And that's so important because, let me ask you this, when do you think God wants you to experience joy? And here's the answer, today. See, this is what the Bible says. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It doesn't say yesterday was a day the Lord has made. Remember the Beatles song? Yesterday all my troubles seem so far away. It doesn't say yesterday is the day the Lord has made. It doesn't say tomorrow is the day the Lord has made. If I can just hang on till tomorrow, then maybe tomorrow I can have some joy. Now, this is the day. With all of its pressures and problems and pain, I will rejoice and be glad in it. 
Take a look at your outline. How can I find joy this Christmas? You see the acronym JOY. Just a quick reminder, what do you need to focus on? Jesus, others, and then yourself, the future that God has in store for you. And friends, let me close with this, with this thought. I know that if I were to pass out cards right now and I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rate your current level of joy on a scale of one to 10. One, you have no joy. 10, you're just incredibly joyful. That the numbers would be all over the, all over the place. Isn't that true? I know that. And I want to talk to those of you who are at the higher end of the scale, which means you have not much joy in your life this morning. And it could be because of, you know, a situation in your family. It could be, you know, a financial pressure you're under. It could be anything, your health, something happening in your life or your marriage or with your kids. And the truth is that, you know, we'll, we'll wrap up the service. The band's going to come back to the stage and we'll sing a song and you'll start heading out the doors and I might see you after the service, or maybe somebody else will see you, and they'll say, how are you today? And you'll say, I'm fine. But you're not fine. Truth is, your heart's broken. And listen, as your pastor, I want to encourage you to do this. Do not face the pressures and problems in your life alone. Because God made us to be connected to him and connected to each other so that we could share the sorrow and the joy in our lives. I have a, a picture on my desk. I, I work at home working on my Sunday messages. And there's this picture, and it was taken at the summit of Pikes Peak. Anybody been to Pikes Peak before? And it's on the monument there where it says, you know, Pikes Peak, and it has the elevation. And it's just me standing on that ledge I actually had a perfect stranger take the picture. And the story behind the picture is I flew out to Colorado for a pastor's conference, and I flew out there alone. And then I rented a car, and I drove up almost all the way to the summit in the car alone. And then I got out, and I walked alone to the summit, and I had somebody take my picture. And the reason I keep that picture on my desk is this. I want to always be reminded that there is no joy in living alone even if you reach the top of the mountain. Because every day I'm climbing a mountain, and so are you. And sometimes our, our head aches, and sometimes our heart breaks. And I've done this many times. I've tried to go it alone. But that's not the path that God wants us to take. And it certainly is not the path that leads to joy. A joy that we can experience even when life is really hard. And so this morning, I offer those of you who are feeling joy impaired, as well as those who are joyful, these words from God's book for people in the valley or on the mountaintop, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Thank you, God, that you can give us a supernatural joy that transcends our circumstances. Thank you that Jesus, by his life, by his sacrifice, has made it possible for us to have the joy of being loved and accepted and forgiven, the joy of knowing that we have a purpose greater than ourselves. And God, 
I know this morning there are people here with broken hearts, and you know that, you see it. Lord, I pray so very much that you would encourage them, that you would remind them that you love them. And Lord, for the person who maybe has never made that decision to trust Jesus, I pray that today they would simply say, God, I just want to tell you, I, I want this joy. I want this gift of a new life. And so I just want to tell you, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead and I want to follow him. And God, you always honor that prayer. And so Father, as we think about Christmas and what it means, we know that, that Jesus came to be with us and he's with us right now. And because he's with us, we don't have to be afraid. Because he's with us, we can have peace and joy and hope. And Lord, as we sing this last song, I pray that that would be our experience. Lord, help us to know the joy that only Jesus can bring, for we pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Mm -hmm.